very interesting show planned for you. We are going to be speaking to Carol Roth. She's a former investment banker, financial analyst, uh, and she is um, talking about global elites and the World Economic Forum who appear to be interested in, uh, well, making sure you have no belongings, essentially making sure you have no ownership of anything. Uh, we're going to talk about how California is ground zero for trying bad ideas. And you guys will appreciate this, how COVID appeared to have been a testing of many of these I don't want to call them policies, but uh, they took the opportunity to test some of the ideas, let's call them, that they plan to roll out. And at the same time, the World Health Organization is centralizing its authority above elected officials. So there is a lot going on right now that you need to be aware of. Uh, if you think COVID was bad, we may be in for something worse if we're not careful. So let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. You can spend thousands of dollars trying to look a few years younger, or you can skip all of that hassle and go with what works. Genucel Skincare. Genucel is the secret to better skin. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel during a recent unplanned moment on our show, when just a little Genucel XV restored my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at Genucel.com. Susan and I love Genucel so much, we've created our own bundles so you can try our favorite anti-wrinkle treatments, correcting serums, and ultra-retinol creams. Just go to Genucel.com Drew. Use the code Drew for an extra discount and free priority shipping. Again, that is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. And there we are. As I said, Carol Roth will be in here just a second. Uh, and uh, shoot, I had something to ask Susan before she ran out of here. Again, Carol is a New York Times bestselling author. I haven't run out of here. I'm right I know here. you're about to. What, I'm now I'm, now I'm going to sit here and have to remember what it was I wanted to ask you. It was something about uh, Genucel or yeah, Paleo Valley. Or, oh. Okay, we didn't hear you. Whatever you said, we didn't hear you. Um, did, was that meant for me or was that meant for Mike? I'm, I'm not quite sure. None of that is on Mike. We don't hear anything. What? There we on. go. There you are. Okay, uh, move on. So, so, okay, we're moving on. Uh, as I said, we're going to talk about global elites and the World Economic Forum. There is her book, You Will Own Nothing. Everything is crossed out. Uh, she had an, another book, when we put the other one up there, where she talks about how COVID was a test run for many of these interesting ideas. And uh, I don't know if you, many of our followers also follow John Campbell. I don't know if you noticed that now he's back online at YouTube and he's opened with a review of the specific updates that the World Health Organization has put together in their recent policy changes, including disregard for civil liberties and rights, and complete centralization in the secretary general or whatever they call the, the head of the World Health Organization, well above without consideration for elected officials in other countries. We should be mortified by this. We should be absolutely horrified by all of this. And the World Economic Forum, people who have benefited the most from the capitalist system uh, don't want you to have any of its advantages. Uh, Carol Roth, welcome to the program with you, Dr. Drew. There you are. Uh, so you were an investment banker. What, just so people get sort of where you're coming from, what is your training originally? 
So I actually came from a blue collar family. My father was an electrician. Neither of my parents went to college and somehow I managed to get myself into a school and was really interested in business and finance. And I asked around because I had no idea what any of these things meant. And since I had to pay my way through school as so many people do, uh, they said, well, if you go into investment banking, you can make you know some money and pay down your loans. And I went, oh, that's great. I have no idea what that is. But I found out um, the, the area that that I focused on was helping smaller companies raise money for expansion. So if you ever ate at a cheesecake factory or got Papa John's pizza, I helped finance that. So sorry for your waistline if that expanded, but to bring that to your neighborhood, <laughs> we helped do that. And uh, also did things like mergers and acquisitions. So I had this Wall Street sort of deal-making background doing billions of dollars of transactions but because my background was blue collar and very much rooted in the American dream, that's where I was passionate. And so I wanted to focus more on helping small businesses and the average person be able to seize the American dream. Because as I'm running around Wall Street, there are all these terms that are very opaque and they make it very difficult for people to get inside that club. So I wanted to do whatever I could to kind of help spread that messaging and certainly things like books and media um, are ways to do that. And yet we hear from politicians all the time that the small business owner is the engine of the American economy and how they're supported. And yet there has been nothing but full-scale attack. I, I don't understand how anybody uh, starting out gets anywhere, given the tax structure, given the, the enormous uh, lack of concern. You know, for me, I've mentioned before that during COVID, the symbol of the, of the extraordinary disregard for people's lives was the businesses around Disneyland. Because here at the same time in Florida, Disney World was wide open and the businesses were thriving around Disney World. Maybe there would have been some limitation on the number of people in the park or something, but the businesses were up and running. Around Disneyland, it was Beirut, it was Syria. And the, I thought of the thousands of jobs and the thousands of business owners and no regard from the government and people's lives were destroyed permanently by this. And that was that, a no regard for it. And, be, and by the way, that image I have of the business around Disney World went on for a good 14, 16 months before they started to allow them to open back up again. It was just yeah. atrocious. And you say this is a test run. Yeah, well, one of the things, I mean, that was not based on data and science, right? That was based on political Correct. cloud and connections. You would have, um, if I wanted to get my hair done or my nails done, I couldn't do that. But if you wanted to get your dog's nails done and it's fur groomed, you could go to a big box retail store that was just down the block and that was open. So all of these decisions have been made in a very political connected manner. And just the idea that the government would come in and tell you that you were a non-essential worker, that what you were doing to put food on the table for your family, that you're, you as the backbone of America, uh, you know, were non-essential. I mean, there's nothing more un-American than that. But like, like you said, you know, this is kind of a, a test run is one of the things that had happened through the concept of you will own nothing. And obviously you will own nothing is a nod to the World Economic Forum. And when I first heard this, I, you'll, know, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Number one prediction from the World Economic Forum, from their 2030 prediction, seven years away, I kind of said, you know, this is probably something that the internet got wrong. The internet gets a lot of things wrong. Fake news. There's no way. Fake news right, somehow. Yeah, there, somehow the press no is uh, sensationalizing this. Exactly, because the WEF is littered with the political and business elite and other very important people. Why would they be predicting the end of private property? So you do the research, which, by the way, isn't really that difficult to do. And you see the video and you see the number one prediction. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And you'll see that the World Economic Forum, by the way, one of the things they like to do is repurpose and repackage ideas. So this is something they've been trying to sell in different formats since 2016. The idea originally was populated in an article. Then they did a video, can you rent everything in your life that you need? Like, you know, your entire life is like a library where you go and you check stuff out ostensibly. So they went through and they sort of repackaged these ideas. 
But what stood out to me as somebody who advocates for wealth creation for the average individual is that wealth does come from ownership. It comes from the ownership of assets, assets that at least hold their value or hopefully appreciate in value. So you now have the people who are at the you know up, uppermost echelons predicting you know the end of private property, and you're going, you know, what, how does this make sense? And then you stumble into something else, which sounds very conspiratorial, which is the concept of a new financial world order or new global order, new world order. And the reality is that that's not a conspiracy theory either. It's something that Joe Biden mentioned in remarks to the business roundtable, groups of all the CEOs from around the United States, in a March 2022 uh, speech that he gave. And you can go Google this on the White House's website right now. And so the New World Order is something that happens throughout history. You know, we've lived at the center of the global financial universe for about 80 years here in the U.S., and we've prospered from it. But before us, it was the British. And before the British, it was the Dutch. So the people who are the smart people and the connected people, they understand this and they are planning for this. And their plan is, well, if the financial global stakes are going to shift, we want to make sure that we're the ones that control the resources and come out on top. And that leaves you with nothing. And what more of a clever way to do that than to get your buy-in by saying, when you own nothing, you'll be happy and try to push it on you as, oh, this is a good thing for you. So uh, I, I thought it was something more ideological, like they decided capitalism was no good and equity is the only way to go and therefore capitalism has to be flattened. But it sounds like you're saying this is a way of acquiring assets and then turning everyone into vassals, essentially, turning everyone into uh, renters or sort of uh, temporary citizens in the land of the elite that own everything. So the worst part about this is that it's coming at you from sort of every facet that you can think about. And each one is taking a little bit of a different um, slant to it. So you have issues that are going on internal to the United States with the Federal Reserve and the government, and they're desperately trying to cling to power. And it's just harder because we're in the later stages of the cycle and they've run up debt and they have you know less things to do. You have these uh, non-government organizations and other bad actors like the WEF, uh, which was founded, as you mentioned, on the idea of stakeholders instead of shareholders. But it's funny, that comes back to ownership, because if you are a shareholder, you own something, you own a portion of something, and you have the opportunity for that to appreciate in value, versus if you just say, okay, well, we'll do whatever the stakeholders want, that's an opportunity for them to control it. Then you have big tech, which again, you hit it right on the head, is like looking at your life and saying, well, let's just make your life a subscription service and we can just rent everything back to you. I mean, we all have cell phones, but at the end of the day, what do we really have? Because we license an operating system, we sign up for payment services, we sign up for emails. And if any of those big tech companies decide that we're on the side of wrong think, as has happened many times, you know, particularly during COVID or in, on an international basis you know, with the, the sanctions against Russia, they can turn off access. So it's coming in from all these different directions, which is why it's really important for people to empower themselves with the knowledge and understand what it is that's being done so they can come up with the appropriate plans to fight back. Because otherwise it's like a, a video game, Dr. Drew. You'd be like just you know, kind of going in each direction and just going, oh no, I don't you know, I don't know what I'm doing here, <laughs> fighting off uh, all these things. Yeah. You've got to have that strategic plan. And, and what do you advise? Well, again, it kind of depends on which area that we're focusing on, because we're going to talk about social credit. We're going to talk about ESG, which I consider business social credit. We're going to talk about central bank digital currencies. We're going to talk about the fact that millennials are you know, making more money on a dollar basis, but accumulating less wealth. We're talking about a potential wealth heist that puts everything else to shame. So each of those things, you have to have sort of an individual plan. But the common thread between those is behavioral shifts and financial shifts. For financial shifts, obviously, if they're advocating that you owe nothing, 
you want to do what they're doing, not what they're saying. And none of them are giving up ownership, by the way, right? We we, we see that, that the, the hypocrisy well, that's of what you it will seems own nothing, like, but yeah. I'm going yeah, to own things. So we want to make sure that you have that ownership. But like in the for something like a central bank digital currency, uh, which really consolidates power with the Fed and the government to control every single transaction, that means you're going to be looking to other form factors that you can control outside of a traditional financing system. With technology, it may be behavioral shifts or you know embracing uh, the push for digital rights. So sort of each thing that we're talking about you know, has a different slant, but it, it all comes down to the behaviors that you do individually, behaviors you do in a community and getting that community support, and then, of course, some financial shifts as well. Back to the currency, is it time to run to metals? <laughs> so uh, for full disclosure, I do work with a, a precious metals company. And so I tend to be a, a gold bug um, and a silver bug. And I think that there are obviously different reasons you have um, you know, money. You know, It's a unit of account, it's a medium of exchange, and it's a store of value. What the Federal Reserve and the government has been doing is destroying the value of our dollar. And everybody sees this, right? You go to the grocery store and you can't believe what the grocery bill is. Just the basic cost of living uh, is so so high that it's very hard for you to have that extra money to invest and get that ownership and to really build wealth. So if you're trying to, to counteract that, you need to think about a store of value. Something like gold has a 5,000 year social contract. Uh, central banks around the world have been loading up on it. They had a record year last year, 1136 tons. So, you know, that could be part of your diversification and just, you know, cover our behinds here. This is not financial advice, just things for you guys to, uh, to look into and to be informed by, but you know, that may be part of the way that you try to diversify your store of value. If you get to the medium of exchange, if, you know, if you're trying to go out and barter, with somebody and all of a sudden there's a central bank digital currency where the government can turn it off because, hey, Dr. Drew, I know you like burgers, but you've eaten too many this month and we don't think that burgers are good for the environment. So we're just not going to let you buy that. Then you have to think about how do you navigate that um, you know, that sort of exchange. And that's where community is going to become really important. And in some places um, where there has been destruction of value, there is barter in precious metals. Certainly you would want to have a small enough denomination because people are probably not making change the way that, you know, you're used to. Um, but, you know, there may be other things that you can use from a barter standpoint as well. And it's a, a very different way from somebody like me, who comes, as I said before, from sort of a, a Wall Street mentality to start thinking about these things, it sounds like, oh, you know, you're being a crazy prepper, but it's not. It's having a realistic vision of what's happened several times throughout history, the trajectory we're on, the unsustainable you know, fiscal runaway train that we know that they're fighting over right now with the, the debt, uh, the deficits and the debt ceiling. So these are all things that you really do need to look into. And anything that we say, you know, CBDCs, oh, that could never happen here. Well, they did a test program last year with 12 uh, major financial companies and the New York Fed. The G7 countries have put out their principles for retail-facing CBDCs. So when you see it in their own language, they're not talking about these things because it's not going to happen. They're talking about these things because they want them to happen. Obviously, we're going to do what we can to stop that. But it's important, just like uh, you know, being being a good Boy Scout, to have that preparation and have that plan B just in case. I think you've sealed my fate on gold because Susan's been talking a lot about it. And I just I just felt her. She sits behind a screen here. I can't really see her. But I thought, oh, I know. I know what's going on behind well, the screen. Well, we have a sponsor. And when we started promoting it in like October, I guess, or August, it, it's gone up quite a bit in price. I was kind of. And she keeps it's it's really it's it's a safety oh, outlet. it's a safety phenomenon but um what is a cbcd 
So CBDC is a central bank digital currency. And one of the uh, things that okay. they're doing, it's it's basically a digital version of the dollar yeah. that the country or central yeah. bank creates. In, in our case, it would be a digital dollar. One of the things that they're right. doing, which is very sneaky, is they're trying to conflate it with cryptocurrency. And the entire push for cryptocurrency comes from the fact that people want decentralization. They do not trust the central banks. They do not trust the governments who have ruined the values of currencies. And so it's a pushback. It's decentralized. Nobody theoretically is in charge of it. And so that's why they're, they're you know, interested in something like Bitcoin, for example. On the other hand, these countries are going, well, we can't give up control of money because, you know, how are we going to control the people? We have to control the money to have the power to control the people. So let's just confuse them. Let's create a, a digital currency. We'll pretend it's like cryptocurrency and we'll say that it's safe. But that main point, the decentralization, the backbone of Bitcoin it's the exact opposite. It's completely centralized within the central mm -hmm. bank and or the government. And that's what gives it control. So like, imagine that you had a coin or a dollar that had a microchip in it and that they could track every single time it moved, every single thing that you do. You know, not only mm -hmm. are there you know, transparency issues, but as I said, you know, it could be agency issues. And we've seen that. I mean, think about back in COVID, uh, you know, what happened in terms of shutting down people's businesses or in Canada with the Freedom Convoy, where they shut down the bank accounts. This would give them the technical ability to shut down that purchasing power. And so, you know, again, be living through the last three years, if you told me five or 10 years ago about this, I'd say, oh, you know, it probably doesn't happen. That seems, you know, seems a little bit crazy, but we've seen these things happen. We've seen what they've done and it can happen again. So this is why we need the pushback. The one thing I will say about CBDCs here in the United States is it needs congressional approval to move forward. Mm. So it's really, really important for us to stand up. And anytime they try to sneak it in somewhere, because they will try to sneak it in, that we say, absolutely mm -hmm. not. The thing I'm concerned about, though, is the way that they sell it to the public who doesn't have the financial literacy. You know, some like the, right. the stimulus they did during COVID, you know, they said, we'll give you a thousand dollar check or a twelve hundred dollar check. And people were so excited, not realizing the inflation that was going to cost and that now they're going to be paying right. six or seven thousand dollars extra a year for the rest of their life. They're going to do the same thing. They're right. going to say, Dr. Drew, wouldn't you like to have four digital dollars instead of one? And everyone's going to go, oh, that's yeah. great. Not realizing that that's going to devalue all the money. Yeah, they're they have they're very diabolical that way. But what would you say to people who were to say, "Oh, this think you get a little you're getting carried away, Carol. This is conspiratorial thinking." Well, I I would welcome everyone to you know as as I went through the book, I did extensive research. There are more than six hundred citations, and most of them are either through the mainstream media or the people who have actually said it. So if you have to say, well, what part do you find conspiratorial? Do you find the prediction conspiratorial? Because I can point to you that it's out there. I can point to you that they say that it came from the World Economic Forum's um, Global Future Councils, and that was where the input is, and that there are a lot of really powerful people connected to that. The New World Order, I'll point you to the website where Joe Biden is talking about that. The Central Bank Digital Currencies, I'm going to point you to the press releases <laughs> about that. Um, something like corporations coming in and competing with you for single family homes. I can show you a 60 minute piece. Piece, where they, they interviewed the CEO of one of these companies, and he basically said he wants to rent you the American dream. So going and seeing the information from all of these sources, and not just talking about it in the abstract, I think really gives heft to it and connects the dots in a way that hasn't been done. Because it does sound, like, as I said, I, admittedly, every one of these things sounds far-fetched. It sounds like something that couldn't happen. But when you see it coming from these individuals and you, you see you know, the, the outcomes, it's very hard to dispute that reality. I want to uh, get a couple, at least a call in here uh, quickly before I can, uh, before I have to take a break. This is Jero Doc. Give him or her a chance to ring in. You have to unmute that mic. There you are. Oh, 
Hello. Hey there. Uh, I, I just want to say this is a fantastic topic, and um, I, I, I think, I guess I come at it as a perspective of uh, a middle-aged guy who's just trying to uh, plan his retirement, mm -hmm. um, and it seems like it's way more uh, treacherous out there than it used to be, and I'd say that I'm less worried maybe slightly about my stock portfolio going down in nominal value as it is disappearing in um, real value, kind of for the reasons that Carol was she, talking she about. Was, uh, she was also holding in her back pocket another very serious concern she has about uh, the wealth tax that is being proposed in California as a test case for rolling across the rest of the country. Carol, do you want to talk to him about that? Yeah, uh -oh. absolutely. I yeah. think it's it's a it's a really good point, and I'm really glad that you brought it up. And so I'm going to start in a different spot and then roll back to California. So one of the the crazy things that I learned when I did research for You Will Own Nothing is that there is 84.4 trillion dollars in wealth that is set to transfer voluntarily over the next 23 years. And the bulk of that wealth right, is talking about not generational, from- Generational transfer. General, yeah, generational, generational transfer. People yeah. who, are, who are, have passed on and are now going to transfer that via inheritance. So $84.4 trillion set to, to, to transfer, which is a staggering amount. Um, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't really think about because this is a voluntary transfer. But from the government standpoint, that's a really nice chunk of money that would help them out with expanding government programs and making good on some of their promises. So this is something that is very much at risk. Now, as I said, it's not just the billionaires because the billionaires have a small fraction of that. That is spread out amongst you know, the entire population. So the idea of a wealth tax is really to get people on board with giving up your property rights and saying, yes, it's okay to tax not just income, but whatever it is that I own. And once you give up that principle because you think they're just going after the billionaires, I have something to tell you. It's never the billionaires or the really, really wealthy or the ones who pay. They're the ones that have fancy loopholes and, and lawyers and accountants that can figure out a way to get around this. It's everybody else. For, for sure, for sure. Is, I'm sorry, is this Go the ahead. same... Is this the same thing as an unrealized, unrealized uh, gains uh, yes. tax? Is this being proposed in California? Oh, so it, it so it's it's oh. very very similar. There are two things: there's unrealized gains, and then there is the wealth transfer. So both of these are related to your wealth. You know, one that passes down when somebody passes away, and it's more of like an estate tax, and one of them that's an, an unrealized capital gain. And from what I understand in California, which is the testing ground for every bad idea in the country, and then it happens there, and then they try to bring it national, is that they're trying to come up with a wealth tax, again, saying it's, oh, it's just going to be for the very, very wealthy. And uh, I've said many times before, you know, these wealth taxes are an idea that is so horrible that Almost every country in Europe that's tried it has abandoned it because everybody either leaves or they don't collect very much money or it has devastating impacts. But just think about it. I mean, imagine just the, the, the cascade waterfall effect if people who own businesses and don't have a lot of cash, but they have value in their business, now all of a sudden are taxed in it. And then they have to sell that in order to pay the tax you know, that's taking away those ownership opportunities as well. So I think it is really important How? that you're focused on your, your retirement. And I want to make sure that you do retirement planning and look into things like trusts, which we don't know if those would be grandfathered in, but in the past, it may be a way to grandfather it. And or you can also look to pass down wealth while you're still living um, there's a there's a certain amount each year depending on the year that you can pass down to your heirs tax-free to get that out and keep it out of these estate taxes and wealth taxes that they're talking about I'm, I'm guessing you have sort of a living will already no something like uh, that no this is all stuff you know the, the really practical legal stuff i'm not so up on but i i definitely need to do that. I think, I, I guess I wanted to just sort of gut check my general philosophy, again, not wanting financial advice, but I'm hearing, you know, really my, I've been shifting more and more over the past few years about trying to emphasize 
hard assets and things like, you know, uh, gold, silver, yeah. you know, precious metals, uh, Bitcoin. I know that may be controversial, but just things like just as many different kinds of things that uh, would be uh, impractical to be taken away from me easily. Um, That's interesting. Um, well, uh, and I and I think uh, this is sort of based on kind of a philosophy more about like where the, the, the U.S. is and sort of the debt cycle. And, um, I, you know, for sure, I, I see a CBDC as a real possibility. And I really enjoyed that description. I think that CBDCs are absolutely they're They're like a bizarre world version of Bitcoin. They're everything that Bitcoin isn't. Um, the only thing that they have is that it's 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 a digital. way of doing digital just, payments, which, digital. Yeah, that's which it. we're doing anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's really kind of silly why they'd introduce it. But uh, but it's got everything that Bitcoin isn't. So in other words, whereas Bitcoin is decentralized, this is centralized. Whereas Bitcoin is permissionless, this is completely permission. And honestly, I just this is one other thing I want to say, and I'll just stop talking. But I think that CBDCs have, if they tr if this truly happens in the new world order, you know, we get rid of the current financial system in favor of a CBDC system. I just don't see it as lasting a particularly long time before everything just goes to hell in a handbasket because, mm. you know, at that point, it's a system where, mm. you know, at least the last bit of restraint on the system we have now is that, you know, debt is um, a liability of the commercial banks. I know that there are a lot of them are disappearing and they're getting centralized, but but um, but debt is a liability of the commercial banks. CBDCs, they, these these would become a liability of the Federal Reserve of the the central bank. There'd be no restraint whatsoever. They could just push button inflate as much as they want. Which they and you know where would. that ends. Yeah, of course yeah. they would. So I just I, I just don't see it as. It's just going to end in ruin, and that's yet it just underlines my philosophy about trying to accumulate hard assets as much as I can. Yeah. Thank you for that question. And he mentioned can I the, he mentioned the real quick. I'm I'm gonna let you do it, but I'm just gonna say he mentioned the debt cycle, and I know a lot of people read uh, Ray Dalia's book and sort of get very focused on these debt cycle, you know, sort of historical trends. But if you read his book, he's very he's somewhat optimistic about the United States, which is kind of <laughs> counterintuitive based on. I, have you have you read his stuff? And he's really kind of like, oh, we're gonna do fine. I'm like, really? <laughs> After all that? Uh, but go ahead, so, you can answer that and underlight the CBDC CBDC thing. Well, I just I just want to say from what Jiro Doc said, the hard assets is really key and having diversification, things like productive land would also be included along with some of the other categories. So I do want to emphasize that and having that diversification in your portfolio, because we don't know exactly how this is going to unfold. And we don't know the duration of when we can see the trajectory, but we can't predict the timing. So you want to make sure that if it takes a little bit longer than maybe you thought it, it would, that you still participate in some of the upside creation and, and you know, that happens, let's say in stocks while you're, you're sort of diversifying to hard assets. Um, in terms of Ray Dalio, so I actually quote Ray several times in the book. He's done a great job of talking about you know, some of these historical cycles and helped me to learn through that from him and other sources. But I have, I do have sort of a differing thought. You know, he also thinks that China is going to become this competing financial superpower. And while certainly I think mm -hmm. they are um, rooting for this new financial world order and trying to position themselves in that way, I think at the end of the day, it's really hard, you know, for people to say, yes, I want to accept the currency of a communist country. And so I think that that one of the things that they've been doing funny enough, is they've been offering credible uh, settlements in physical gold as a way to say, well, you know, if you transact in our currency, you know, we'll have some gold backing to it, which sounds like something that, you know, happened back in the day in the U.S. But I do agree with Jero, Doc, that, you know, one of the things that happens, um, at least historically, with these new financial world orders, is that there's a lot of chaos. I mean, between the British and the U.S. cycle, it took 15 years to sort it out. And I think that that's one of the things people need to be prepared for. There's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel eventually. It may look very different, but there is going to be if and when this happens, that period of chaos that we go through as they try to figure out, you know, is it CBDC or maybe it's CBDC in the U.S. and there's a basket of currencies elsewhere. You know, that's one of those other unknowns where we have some hypotheses of what it might look like, but we don't have that perfect crystal ball. And we also know that decisions that are made along the way can change and transform everything. I, I have to take a break here, but one of the sort of 
really difficult um, aspects of looking at financial markets and these kinds of these kinds of big economic trends. You really don't. This we may be in some of the chaotic part of it right now. You don't really know until you're out of it. You can't. It's not until you're looking back that you can understand what you were in, because you can't see where it's going forward. It might be getting a lot worse. It might be resolving in some way, right? I mean, that's that's one of the the sort of mm, what should we say uh, the challenges of being being in your field. But but I have to take a break. I need to take a break. Okay. And when we get back, I'll, I'll let you answer that. And I, I want to talk a little more about these big cycles. You've mentioned the Dutch and the British being the financial centers of the world. You know, I, I know their histories pretty well. And usually there were some major events that brought that all to a close. Either the Spain invades, you know, Holland or the British overreach or, you know, and there's a series of wars yeah. over, you know, 100 years, essentially. Um, so I'm wondering what you imagine. Let's say there's not that kind of a challenge or let's say there is or would they, you know, what would, A, what would you predict the challenge might be and B, how would it go if there was not? So that and the, okay. uh, yeah, so I'll hold your thoughts, write it down and I'll be right back after this. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend, let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and it's causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years. It's safe, it is a form of a mild blood thinner, that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants, all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com TWC. That is drdrew.com TWC. I recently discovered Paleo Valley. They have a line of products that align perfectly with a paleo dietary regimen. Goodbye to the limited rotation of eggs, burgers, and the standard fare. Hello to a wide variety of extraordinary products that are both healthful and delicious. Paleo Valley offers a spectacular range of options, including 100% grass-fed beef sticks. They're packed with nutrients like omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, glutathione, CLA, and bioavailable protein. Plus, keto-friendly, make for a great protein-rich snack on the go. Paleo Valley's tasty beef sticks are not just 100% grass-fed, but also grass-finished, sourced from small domestic farms in the U.S. and flavored with real organic spices. They're also fermented, which means they contain natural probiotics that are great for gut health, and they taste amazing. Try them out by heading over to drdrew.com slash paleovalley to get 15% off your first order today. Don't miss out on this opportunity to discover a brand that is perfect for your paleo lifestyle. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, gold and you can own it in a tax shelter retirement account with the help of birch gold that's right birch gold will help you convert an existing ira or 401k maybe from a previous employer into an ira in gold and the best part you don't pay a penny out of pocket just visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit they'll hold your hand through the entire process think about this when currencies fail gold is a safe haven how much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D.com slash D-R-E-W. And they are very service-oriented, and they provide uh, silver as well as access to gold markets. And their big thing is doing 
And uh, coins. IRAs. They have coins as well. That is true. You can have a safe full of pretty coins. Carol Carol turned Seuss completely (laughs) cold. I'll put it next to my shoe collection. Let's get get Carol Ross back. Yes, if you want to be able to... Are we going to be trading in shoes, Carol? I was going to say, I know I'm going to be trading in shoe purchases and all different kinds of purchases. I'm going to be in big trouble here. I know, it's concerning. I'm I'm a little disaster worried, you know, and now I have, we have a gold as a sponsor and we have beef sticks that you can take with you so you can eat. So she is... She's become a survivalist <laughs> and a, survival a gold advocate at, at the same time. So be careful around her. She gets going pretty, pretty wildly. So yeah, I used she's to, I used got to make very this great joke. concerns about. Go ahead. I was going to say, I used to make this joke during the financial crisis that it was the prepper's portfolio, that it was gold, guns, and Campbell's soup. So you could add beef jerky in there as well. Well, uh, yeah, well. She, oh, no, these paleo uh, bone broth and paleo yeah, she, sticks yeah. are amazing, amazing. She, um, she's really worried <laughs> about, pork and she's very too. concerned about China. She's she's studied them for too long. And we've had yeah. Michael Sanger in here and others that got her quite uh, exorcised and um, but let's go back to what I was saying, uh, to, to that issue. I mean, maybe that is how we kind of come to a close here. Uh, war and, you know, those sorts of um, major events seem to be the things that wrap up uh, the financial centers of the world and shift it elsewhere. What do you think? What's going to happen with us? What's your prediction? I love chatting with you because you're so insightful. So what one of my takeaways from this is that not every war enables a new financial world order, but every modern new financial world order we've seen has been enabled by war. So I do think Mm. um, in terms of the desperation point that creates the people coming together and saying, hey, we're going to work something out. It's kind of hard to see that we're going to come to the table and say, oh, yeah, we're willing to give up our pull position without having a backdrop of that, um, even if it's more of a, you know, a false flag or a cover that you know, they feel like they need to sell it to the, the U.S. public. So I certainly think that is a reality. I think the challenge, and, and you, you know, studying history may really appreciate this, is that there isn't an alternative. You know, when you had these other cycles happening, you know, from Dutch to British, the British had already become very important financially. And the same thing with the U.S., with the British. You know, we were already a modern financial center when this all went down. What's the alternative? It's not like there's a bastion of free markets and you know great ideas and prosperity that's waiting in the wings to kind of step into the role. Like we are that role. We have to preserve this for as long as possible because not only are the people in the US counting on this, but frankly, a lot of places around the world are counting on this because it's not like we're gonna have somebody else step in that's in a, in a great position, everybody else is tyrannical and dictatorial and potentially even worse. You know, I, I like to say that we're the, we're the skinniest kid at fat camp, unfortunately. We're not doing so great, but on a relative basis, um, you know, it certainly looks better than the alternative. And so that's really the concerning point to me as I look to the, the rhymes of history is, you know, who is that waiting in the wings? You know, if it is China or it is kind of this brick nation basket of currencies, like that doesn't bode well, not just for the U.S., but for the entire globe. And so hopefully that gives people, you know, even more fuel to try to fight this and try to postpone it. It is salvageable, by the way. We can pull this back. But it's challenging, and you would know better than anyone else based on human nature, um, particularly with mm. governments as they get big and they get powerful and they have all this debt. The things that they would re- be required yeah. to do would take them outside the normal scope of what human beings do when they're looking to, you know, control things. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the average person understands that the the dynamism, the creativity, the ability to gain access to markets and capital and build companies and make ideas into reality, we're the, we're where that happens. <laughs> That's where that happens. Unfortunately, I think there's this counter narrative that, yeah, that's in that system, but the Chinese have a good system and let's, you know, and they create businesses as well. And we should be looking more in that direction. I, I think that's what we're really fighting. 
Yeah, I mean, they should really look into China and certainly in You Own Nothing, I talk a little bit about some of these things. But look what happens when somebody becomes successful in China. If you look at Jack Ma that you may know as the entrepreneur behind Alibaba, he got very big and powerful and, of course, dared to speak out against the party a little bit. And then Jack Ma went away and we didn't see Jack for quite some time. And when he came back, he had some very nice things to say. Um, he gave up control of some of his other businesses, Ant Group. So that's what happens when you get powerful in China. And their emerging social credit system, uh, which could be the template for what happens here, a state-run social credit system, they go after the businesses first, Dr. Drew. And that's because while capital moving a little bit towards capitalism has enabled some prosperity, when people have that prosperity, they have more freedoms and then they don't follow what the party says. So they have to have a lid on that. And that's why as they've yeah. rolled out social credit throughout China, they focused on and it's more advanced within the business system than it is for individuals. Although there are a lot of scary things that happen for individuals as well, including getting your face on a billboard as an untrustworthy person, just like out of an Orwell movie. And that's yes, from it NPR. It is very Orwellian. Yeah. And we have, um, met, we've talked to a virologist and others who were, were involved in some of the research that may have led to the uh, viral, the, the, the actual SARS-CoV-2. Um, and they talk about people being dis being disappeared, that you will be disappeared if you if you speak up or speak out or step out of line in any way. And, and I don't think people really understand that the way systems like that work, they see that as patriotic, as, as something really moral and patriotic. And, and I, people don't get what, where that goes. They just don't get it. No, they really don't. They don't understand that the, the communist system is against the idea of property rights, against the idea of prosperity, of innovation. I mean, there's a reason why China are the great replicators and not the great innovators, because it exactly. takes a stake in it to be able to innovate something. If you don't have the stake, well, then it's just easier to replicate something. And that's why they don't have the regard for intellectual property or, you know, all the issues that come out of there because it is baked Let into your the system book, your fundamentally. Next <laughs> your, your next book needs to be about the power of innovation or something because people don't really get that. You know what I mean? They don't understand that the, innovate, the engine of innovation. Daniel, unmute yourself. We, we got you up here. Maybe. How are you doing, sir? Well, thank you for coming up. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I was a big fan. I was telling uh, Caleb that uh, I purchased your book, Cracked, and when wow. I was 19, studying psychology at University of San Diego. And uh, I was also telling him that uh, I've been working with a group of uh, retired Navy SEALs and Army Rangers mm -hmm. and veterans in suicide prevention since oh, 2015. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Because in 2015, my dad committed suicide on, mm. on video, mm. and I went through the, the, the classic symptomology of PTSD. And sure. I, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, um, it's, it's an honor to speak with you. But also, um, what are your thoughts with regards to the treatment potential of um, psychedelics, like um, there is MDMA, the, yeah. 5-MeO, DMT? Yeah. There is no doubt that there is potential. Uh, there, there's no doubt. In fact, I'm a big fan of its use at end-of-life dread. The problem is... In other words, there's it, it some good data that shows things like LSD and psilocybin can be used when people are mortified, they have a terminal condition, and they're just overcome. Uh, turns out that psychedelic, both psychedelic therapy and just psychedelic exposure can dramatically reduce end-of-life dread. So, the, and, and the problem with psychedelics are the long-term consequences, and when there's a fatal diagnosis, you do not need to worry about that. Um, now, there's also great evidence, you know, the... the um, shoot um the society of, uh what's the i'm blanking on the society of uh psychedelic studies maps the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies uh is putting together lots of good research there in, in recalcitrant crises there's no doubt in my mind this can be very useful to what extent it's going to be useful i have seen unfortunately i've seen so many horrible consequences from hallucinogenics lots and at what dose and what amounts and what particular chemical exposure we don't know because no one's been able to do any research so my bet is we'll understand that better in a few years and there will be will be significant application in things like ptsd and mood disorders
If I could have, if I could ask a specific question, so uh, do you think that would you support, for example, removing psychedelics from Schedule One to oh, yeah. Schedule oh, Two? Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. All I look, I, I am the only thing about making drugs illegal that I favor is that it helps me create consequences for patients that I'm trying to leverage into treatment. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't. What the law says about them, I, I, I'm agnostic. It just when it helps me, it's a tool, and that's that. I don't want a bunch of cannabis addicts in jail. That's ridiculous. Uh, and same thing with hallucinogenics, but people have got to be realistic about these things and, and how, I, by the way, I have two psychiatrists that I have, I was going to do a television show about this. I still might yet do it. Two psychiatrists I got a hold of who were um, exceptionally good psychiatrists, both women, like really sharp psychiatrists. And they are, to say they're enthusiastic about um, psychedelics is an understatement. They, they feel like this, this is it. Uh, and to, to uh, sort of, um, get in the way of that train is a huge mistake. So I just worry about the future. That's all. I worry about the consequences. I, I worry about that with every medication. Let's be fair. You know, medicines are I, dangerous and got to be careful. If I could uh, follow up on that, um, part of, so when I was uh, studying psychology, when I was in, in school, I served on the institutional review board for six years. Mm -hmm. And so the Nuremberg code and the, anytime you're doing any form of uh, human experimentation, mm -hmm. the uh, Minnesota starvation experiment always comes to mind about how you can study, um, a very complicated, ethically complicated issue with adult volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, do you, I, I'm getting a lot of concerns from from um, constituents about uh, transgender surgeries in particular, mm -hmm. um, and not so much the surgery themselves this itself, but more that the surgery is being offered as a potential solution for a psychological malady, right, or or for uh, an individual struggle with their metaphysical conception of their identity or their soul, or however, right. and the interplay between that and the physical body, right. Um, that um, making it. It seems that there are statements that are being made about the health benefits that have not yet cleared experimental, uh, like have cleared trials for FDA approval and should be subjected to the minimum ethical guidelines of the Nuremberg Code. Is that something that yes. you can comment I, I, on? I think that that because of the, the politics surrounding this, the medical part has become concerning to me. In I, I even think of it in much more simple terms than you're putting it which is our job is to come up with the right treatment for the right patient and to do no harm. That's it. That's our job. And if we don't know yet, and, and by the way, let me also frame it as saying, I am clear. I know plenty of transgender patients where they got the right treatment, whether it was surgical or medical, but it is a, it is a surgical medical physician managed intervention long-term. And in that case, you got to have evidence based for what you're doing, and you have to know how to select the correct patient, and you have to know the long term arc and all the potential downstream consequences. I, I'm situations where clearly that was correct, and I'm seeing situations where that maybe perhaps wasn't correct. So I, I'm just worried about how medicine uh, is is tied into this thing. And your your point about the uh, research being done adequately, that's what needs to be done in order for us to know what the evidence is for how to select the right patient for the right treatment, at the right age, for the right duration, all the things we do in medicine. And let's don't make no mistake, these are serious medications and serious surgeries that doctors are using. So that's my concern. we got to get it right. Um, so that was our public service announcement. It's a little, little bit off of uh, the topic, Carol. Sorry about the sidebar there for a minute. Um, as we kind of roll to the the end here, I I I am interested that you don't seem pessimistic. I'm, I'm interested that you still, um, in spite of the, what seems to me now, I'm I'm probably sinking into your conspiratorial thinking, so to speak, a little bit. But it seems to me that this is um, it has an existential quality to it, right? There's an existential element embedded in here. How real is that, and how much do people need to just go on? And it's almost this almost reminds me of some medical issues that that loom in the future. How much is this really existential, and how much is it just that we need to a good do good financial management as you would always advise, and b be aware of these things and look for opportunity to fight hard to push them back? 
Yeah. So obviously, you know, being an American, I'm definitely a fighter. Being somebody who advocates for small business and an entrepreneur, I'm always like, we've got to find the solution. We've got to move forward. And like, we're just not going to give up to the end. And this can be really overwhelming. Um, but I think that the point of the book is to empower and to have that call to action. You know, as an individual, you are not going to be able to stop the changes in historical financial cycles, right? You will not be able to stop the changing of the global financial order that happens on a regular basis. We may be able to delay it. We may be able to delay it significantly, but at some point in time, history tells us that that is going to shift and going back to human nature, technology changes, human nature remains very constant. So we have that sort of expectation to go on. So I think that people need to control what they can individually and in their communities and make those right choices and have the preparation for them. And so this is meant to have a, a hopeful ending. In fact, my last chapter, Own Everything, I'll give you a little Easter egg, is chapter 11, because chapter 11 usually means bankruptcy and giving up what you own. And I wanted to flip that on its head. And I wanted you to, to look at chapter 11 as own everything and to go out and do exactly what they're telling you not to do, to follow the things and follow those actions instead of those talking points. So I, I, I'm going to remain hopeful. I'm going to control the things that I can. I'm going to hopefully empower other people to make those choices, educate more people, get those, those people acting individually, but you know, in communities who are prepared for the plan B and the plan C so that when life shifts and changes, because we've seen that happen over the last couple of years, and it's going to, again, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, that you've kind of come to terms with that and that you can go into action. And if you have, you know, kind of like the, the different stages of grief, you, you might need to have that around what's happening and the changes in America's financial position, and then get to the point where you're okay with it and you, you take action. So, um, you know, that is the message. And, you know, what I want from people is to do the best they can and to preserve the American dream for themselves and their family. Yeah. And I, I, it's very simple things, I guess, like, um, you know, don't, don't rent houses from that big conglomerate that wants to own all the multifamily, single family dwellings, go, go find or a way or to don't find sell, or don't you sell your, own. and don't, yeah. And don't sell your house. Like if you have the option, obviously I want you to get the best price possible. But if you have a buyer who maybe is, is paying a little bit less or a little bit more of a pain because they don't have all cash or they want to look in and, and make sure it's okay and not buy it sight unseen, understand you know what you're contributing to i mean capitalism is about making choices and every choice that you make has an outcome and a consequence and we repeat that many many times over and over again and and we can shift things here and uh one of the questions that susan asked going into this interview you just answered so susan we don't sell our house that was her question should i sell my house which one uh, just this house no, you, you want to you want to own, own house you want to own houses you want to own productive land you want to own um as jero doc was saying that from the twitter space you want to own those hard assets the things that you can control and i understand it's not a perfect system if you own a house yes you, yes you have to pay property taxes and there are other issues. But again, we're going to control what we can control. But hey, maybe you can get involved locally as well. And maybe you can change the tenor of some of those things that are happening with your local laws. Because again, hard to check uh, to to affect global change, maybe hard to, to affect change in Washington, but maybe in your community or your state, there are things that you can do to shift policy and to, to shift outcomes. Carol, California, California. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Unfortunate. But but I have to say, so we live in Pasadena, and I've said that you know your local government's far more impactful than uh, yes. even your state government, certainly than the federal government. And we have great police, great great water power. We have great uh, public service. I mean, really good. The the uh, Garbage, everything, everything works here in Pasadena that right next door does not work in Los Angeles does not work yeah. at all. Uh, and so it makes a big difference uh, being here, even though we are dealing with the encumbrance of California. And, uh, and that is just. Uh, it's sad to watch. 
Yeah, I mean, everyone's leaving. Everyone's. I'm surprised you're still here. Carol's here some of the time, but people <laughs> are time. getting out fast. Yeah, they. Are. Yeah, well, my, my choices are my choice. My choices aren't great. I'm either in Chicago with the Illinois regime or California. I'm a glutton for punishment, Doctor Drew. What can I tell you? But I still want everyone. I to guess that's it. <laughs> All right. Any parting th thoughts for us before we buy the book? And uh, last thoughts, and then I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to let you go first. So don't let those global elite win. They want a jockey to control the resources, but you do not have to let them empower yourself, empower your neighbors, go yeah. own everything. Yeah. Thank you, Carol. Hope we talk soon. All right. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. And uh, that, that reminds me now also of the World Health Organization, which is jockeying into a position that is untenable, and we have to fight against it in the most the fiercest way possible. Um, I, I almost, you know, some people talk about being single-topic uh, voters. I, I'm almost looking for somebody to dismantle what, what that is suggesting. Because have we not learned from COVID that they are willing to do anything with their power when they do it? independent of scientific evidence just because they want to do it and we're going to centralize that in the world health organization one person is going to have all that authority that is insane it's really important that we understand the basic principles that has made this country work so long and centralized authority and a dictatorial power that we grant to somebody under any circumstances should should uh put horror in all of our hearts it's just an unspeakable situation uh, i'm gonna go again yeah. Drew, can, can you think of yep. any time yep. in history when the people have handed over powers to the government and then the government has ever handed those powers back to the people? Oh, no, 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 never. But but I was thinking about all the wars that have been fought over uh, people trying to take away assets, say where their belongings and things. That That's a common thing. And so that's, land. What, that's what I worry about. Land, you know. All kinds of things Women. people fought over. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, shall I take a couple more quick calls really Yeah, sure. Quick? Okay. Uh, she was I, good. It was really was... nice to get off the COVID topic a little bit. Yep. Uh, very quickly, I want to see if uh, these are yeah, just me. Carol's gone. Uh, you got to unmute yourself once I bring you up there. And this is uh, JP. Unmute yourself, JP. Oh, there. hi, Doc. It's, it's too bad uh, Carol left because I had a question for her. Oh, you know, well. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. Um, nice hmm. talking to you, nevertheless. I can, I can bring her back. So. Yeah, yeah, good seeing back? you again. You as well. All right, everything cool with you? Oh, you, you want to bring her back? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, if she wants to come got, back, there she, she is. You want to answer this question, Kim? I just saw her performance. I love that. It's like a yes, encores are the best. Okay, JP, we've oh, got yeah. her back. Hey, Carol, uh, big fan of yours. Uh, we've bumped into each other on Twitter every once in a while. Um, I kind of wanted, I'm curious about something, and that is, uh, you know, your very first book, which I'm a huge fan of, you know, which talks about the way um, small small and medium businesses were shuttered during uh, C-19. The war on you small know, I'm business. Curious, there it is. Pardon me? The war on small business, it's called. Yes, right. And, and, and in her book, she... Mm -hmm. uh, she mentioned this astounding statistic that there's uh, over 30 million small and medium businesses in America. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. when I heard that number, I was just aghast, you know, and, and I myself had friends who are entrepreneurs. I happen to be in L.A. too, Dr. Drew. Mm. Well, I know you're in Pasadena, but, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. it's basically Same. L.A. We're all, all there. Right. Yeah, we, right. we, we, we've got a so, few so, perks here that you don't get, but that's it. <laughs> very true. Yeah. And I'm a native. I don't know about you, Doc. Native. But, uh, I was native. Born. Yeah. Oh, great. Good to meet you. We're the last Me two too. left. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. Okay. That makes three of us. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I'm curious about now is, Carol, after three years, do we have any uh, data now on how many of those businesses were actually to recover and how many of the jobs that, you know, yeah, it's a great question. That, that they created, how many have recovered? Because nobody talks about this. Yeah, I bet, I bet it's hard to figure out because some of them morphed and probably, you know, people are resourceful. Maybe they morphed into something else and people, we do know there's lots of jobs out there. People found other jobs, but I'm going to put you back in the audience. I'm going to let her answer that. 
Yes. Yeah, so um, it is staggering. You know, half of the economy is in the hands of more than 30 million businesses. I think it's 32 point something million at this point in time. And they have done a very good job of making this statistic almost impossible to figure out. What we do know mm -hmm. is that as, as of June of 2020, there were 400,000 businesses that were killed by COVID mandate. I say killed because they would have existed probably without the mandate. So they, they were killed by mandate. Um, and the extrapolation is that it's probably in the seven figures that ended up being killed. But there are a couple things that complicate this story. One of them is that because people were staying home and because they were getting stimulus money and because people you know, were trying to figure out side hustles and things to do, that even more people than the ones that shuttered ended up starting new businesses. Now, again, these are not mostly the businesses that employ other people. They're solopreneurs, which is the case for most of the small businesses in America. Um, but you know, there were a ton of those that were created. So based on all the ones that shuttered, even more than that amount, they made up that difference. And on top of that, there were new ones created. The Biden administration sort of refuses to talk about what's going on. And they refer to this weird thing about there's record applications for new businesses. There's no such thing as an application <laughs> for a new business. You just go and you start one. And sometimes people formalize that, you know, in a, an LLC or an S corp, or sometimes they don't. Do they mean business they licenses keep, maybe? I literally have no idea. I've tried to respond to every time they say this nonsense. And so I do think yeah. they're trying to cover that up and not let people know. But what I do know is that you know, per the National Federation of Independent Businesses, that the optimism for small business is down. They're having a hard time mm. trying to find people to hire. That inflation has been a long tail impact on them. Supply chain, all of these things that were created during COVID. It wasn't just the shutdown. It, it wasn't just the mandates, yes. but all of the long tail issues that came out of that also have impacted the small businesses. So I think it's going to take a few more years to really sort through who was able to hang on with you know, everything stacked against them from the mandate to Fed policy to all of the issues that the Fed and the government created through that. Excellent encore, Carol. Thanks Thank for you having so me much. back. I'll get, I'll get my guitar and, ready in the uh, back just in case. <laughs> well, there, there shall not be a second encore. <laughs> not with the guitar. <laughs> Susan. Uh, just FYI, Susan muted you. Oh, there you are. Okay, she muted me. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up. I appreciate you, Carol, for being with us. I appreciate all of you asking the questions. I've been watching the restream and the uh, Rumble Rants. Uh, and we have, do we figured out our guest for tomorrow yet? I believe Kelly's coming on in here. Uh, we have, oh, Thomas Rents coming in tomorrow. And, and Jordan Schachtel on uh, May 18th and Robert F. Kennedy on May 22nd. So, Carol, thank you again. And thank you all. We'll see you tomorrow at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Oh,